Hey, would you agree with this, that uh, we live in a world that uh, is fixated on labels? We like to label all kinds of things. Even more so, we like to label people, don't we? When I say label, what I mean is we like to attach a word or a phrase to people that just kind of describes what we think they are like. Or we might stereotype them. I I don't know why that is, but it's almost human nature for us to do this. Our society is really quick to throw around labels. Let me just give you a few examples that might be familiar to you. If you are somebody who really enjoys guns, like you like to go out and shoot them, well, then there are many in our society would say, well, obviously you are a right-wing conservative. You know, that's that's the label that's going to get attached to that. If, uh, (laughs) amen, all right. If you are a 35-year-old injured quarterback in the NFL, well, you're going to get labeled most likely as washed up. And that's typically how we do things, right? We, we just make these assumptions. We label people. I've been really enjoying the uh, NBA finals. I don't know about you. I love basketball. You know that. So I've been watching uh, all the finals and uh, the playoffs. And, and, uh, and there are certain players that you know they're going to be there at the end and they're going to come through and they're usually the ones that hit the big shots. If you're a player that hits the big shots, you're going to get labeled as like clutch, aren't you? Oh, that's clutch. You know, that's the kind of label we put on that. If you are a young person, then you might get um, labeled by an older person as naive. And if you are an older person, you might get labeled by a younger person as out of touch. You know, if you uh, are somebody that always follows the rules, then you might wear the label goody two-shoe or holier than thou. But if you're somebody who breaks all the rules, you're going to get labeled a rebel or a nonconformist. Now, here's the deal. Chances are very high that somebody has attached a label to you at some point in your life. And I can tell you something about labels, and I think you would agree with me. Oftentimes, labels are hard to shake once they get attached to you, aren't they? Anybody say amen? I know that. Labels can be hard to shake. We see labels in the Bible as well. In fact, one of the most famous labels in all of Scripture was given to one of Jesus' disciples. And it's a label that still gets attached to people to this day. His name was Thomas, and he was the disciple that wasn't there when Jesus appeared to the rest of the disciples. And when the other disciples said, hey, Thomas, we've seen the risen Christ, Thomas said, "Ah, not unless I see with my own eyes will I believe. And ever since then, he has been labeled what? Doubting Thomas. If you ever wonder where that phrase comes from, it comes right from one of Jesus' disciples. That's a label that has stuck with him for 2,000 years. Labels can be positive, and labels can be very negative, can't they? Here's some positive labels, and I don't think any of us would mind having these labels attached to us. If somebody said, well, she's lovely or pretty, or hardworking, intelligent, confident, athletic, humble. Now, now nobody would, would, uh, would, would reject those labels, right? No, 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 no. Those are positive labels, often comes with positive outcomes, but there's negative labels too. Here's a few that I don't think any of us would ever want attached to us. Bossy, controlling, selfish, fake, inadequate, clumsy, Arrogant? I mean, who wants any of those labels attached to them? Those are labels that sometimes come with very negative outcomes. So whether the label is positive or whether it is negative, most of the time they do tend to stick. And this is certainly the case 
with the underdog that we're going to be studying about today. If you're a first-time guest with us today, we as a church family are in a series called God of the Underdogs. And what we are doing is we are examining a few lives of people in the Bible. They are our lives that God did great things through. And, but a lot of times we go, well, that's not, that's not the person I would have chosen. God used that person. I mean, an underdog is somebody who, who nobody expects great things from. They don't expect them to win, but yet they end up winning in the end. And, and we've seen underdogs who had to overcome great obstacles and, and had to overcome excuses. All of them had excuses. We've seen underdogs who, who received a great blessing they didn't deserve. Well, this underdog that we're going to look at today, he's an underdog because from the day he was born, he was given a label. And it was a label that he would spend a life time trying to shake. The man's name is Jacob, and we learn about Jacob on the very day of his birth in Genesis chapter 25. So if you brought a Bible with you today, would you go ahead and turn over to Genesis chapter 25? That's where we're going to be today. And we are going to be making our way all the way to Genesis 32. So from Genesis 25 to Genesis 32 is the scope of our study this morning. And of course, we will have all the scriptures on the screens behind me. And if any of you are following along on your smart device, you can go to newlifenwa.info. You can swipe over to current teaching and you can follow this message right along as we go. All the scriptures are there as well, whichever way you would prefer. Now, while you are finding... Genesis chapter 25, let me kind of give you a little bit of backstory, what's going on the day that Jacob is born. Jacob is the grandson of arguably the most well-known figure in the Old Testament. His grandfather was named Abraham. We all know a little bit about Abraham. We've at least heard that name. Well, Jacob is his grandson. And God, way back in Genesis chapter 12, made a promise to Abraham. Do you remember what that promise was? Out of you, Abraham, I am going to create a mighty nation. It will be a huge nation. And this is a promise that he made to him. Abraham had no children, though, when he made that promise. But at the ripe age of 100, Abraham becomes the father of Isaac. Now, what's the most famous thing about Isaac that we remember? As Isaac was getting older, God told Abraham to do what? Sacrifice his son Isaac. And Abraham obeyed. And right before he sacrifices his son, God stepped in and stopped him and provided a substitute sacrifice. And he knew that Abraham would trust him. All kinds of doctrinal, theological things happening with that. And so you have Abraham, who has a son named Isaac. And it's out of this bloodline that God is going to bring about what would become the nation of Israel, also known in the Bible as the Hebrews, also known in Scripture and today as the Jewish people. This is who it gets tracked through, Abraham, Isaac. Now, Isaac is going to have a son as well. In fact, he has twins, Jacob and Esau. And this is where we catch up with their story. So... It's on this day of Jacob's birth, he receives this label. Let's read about it. Genesis chapter 25, verse 24. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. That doesn't sound like a cute baby. I don't know about you. Can you imagine? Hey, Rebecca, look at your first one. Like, oh, well, isn't that nice? He's red and hairy. That's so they, so they called him Esau. 
And after this, his brother came out, and he was, now catch this detail if you've never read this before, he was grasping Esau's heel, had a firm grip on it. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So Jacob came out of his mother's womb, hanging on for dear life to his red, hairy brother Esau. It must have been a sight to behold, but that is the reason for why Jacob got his name, because he was holding on to his brother's heel. In fact, Jacob means that. He grasped the heel. But there's a Hebrew idiom that also is connected to Jacob's name. Because we say he grasped the heel, that's not necessarily a positive reference. It comes with it as well, this idea of being a deceiver or a schemer or an undercutter. And in fact, there might even be that. In your Bible, there may be a footnote with some additional references to Jacob's name, if your Bible has those in there. But it's not necessarily a positive name. Can you imagine on the day that you're born, you are given the name that has a connotation with being an undercutter and a deceiver and a schemer. And believe me, that label will follow him. And Jacob, if you know his life story, will do plenty of things all on his own to earn that label. There will be a time that he tricks his slightly older brother Esau into giving him the birthright. Do you remember that story in the Bible? We won't get into it now, but you should read it. But he tricks him. And the birthright meant everything to the eldest son. Because the birthright meant that when the father dies, you take leadership of the family and you get the majority of the inheritance. This was no little thing. And so Jacob tricked his brother Esau out of it. And then later, we learn that Jacob tricks his father, Isaac, into giving him the blessing that was supposed to go to his brother, Esau. Jacob dresses up like a hairy animal, and Isaac, who can't see very well, doesn't know the difference. I'm going, my goodness, how hairy was this man? Okay, he puts on fur, and his dad can't tell the difference. Anyway, just saying so he tricks his father into getting a blessing that was supposed to go to Esau. And then in, uh, when, when Esau learns that he's been tricked again, this is what he says in Genesis chapter 27, verse 36. Esau makes this statement. Isn't he rightly named Jacob? Now just think about what he's saying here for a minute. He's tricked me. And isn't that why he's named Jacob to begin with? And then he says, he has deceived me two times. This is Esau making a direct reference to this guy's reputation, his label, the thing that he's had since the very birth, since the very birth when he came out grabbing his heel. Isn't he rightly named? Isn't he rightly labeled the deceiver? Isn't that why he's got that name? He's tricked me twice. He took my birthright, Esau says, and now he's taken my blessing. From the time he was born... Jacob had a label attached to him. You know, every one of us has been given a label at some point in our lives. Some of those labels, like I was saying, are positive. Some are not. Some are deliberate. Others are inadvertent how we pick up these labels. Maybe it's a tag given to you from a frustrated parent one time. Or a label that we picked up from a heated conversation. Maybe you did something great one time in your life and you've been labeled and that's been an attachment to this great thing you've done ever since. Maybe it was something very negative that happened. But the bottom line, many of us, just like Jacob, 
have had some labels attached to us. And just like Jacob, some of these labels are well-earned, some are not, but they stick with us and they are hard to shake. Sometimes these labels shape what we become. And that's certainly Jacob's story. Jacob's deceiving ways finally catch up with him. You can only trick your eldest brother so many times in Bible days when there's going to be retribution. And so Esau is like, it's time to kill my brother, and he's not joking around. That's brotherly love at its best right there. I'm going to kill my brother. Jacob learns of this, and so Jacob does what any good deceiver and schemer does. He runs for his life. And so he runs away to a far-off land where his brother Esau will not chase him, and Jacob kind of starts over. He gets married, he has a family, he starts working, and he starts this brand new life. But as you read his story, then you, you learn that his deceiving ways and, and this label that he has, it kind of follows him into his new life, this new life of trickery. We read about times when he tricks others, and then there are some pretty significant times where he gets duped. Can somebody say Rachel and Leah? You go back and read that sometime. He makes his father-in-law so mad that Jacob has to run away from him too. But even though Jacob, at this point in his life, he does not present himself as the type of man that we think God would ever use to do anything great. I mean, you read his story, he does not strike you like his, his father Abraham. He's not really a chip off the old block at this point in his life. He's not the kind of individual that you would think, oh, God is going to do this magnificent work through his family, and he's going to build a mighty nation through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He doesn't have those marks on his life at this point. But what he does have is this fact that God made a promise, and God keeps his promise. So when Jacob's like, it's time to run away from my new family too, God steps in and in Genesis chapter 31 verse 3, God says this to Jacob. He said, Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. Now if I could just pause Jacob's story for just a brief moment and highlight the truth that we see in this verse. And here's that truth. And I think we need to identify with this truth today. The truth is this, that God never loses sight of you. Jacob's not at home. He's in a far off land. Jacob's not living a kind of life that we, any of us would say, oh, well, that honors God and all of his, no, 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 none of that. But God never loses sight of Jacob. He never loses track of him. And, and that should be comforting to us today because God never loses sight of any of us either. And there might be some of us in this room who may be wondering to yourself, I wonder if God even knows I'm still around. I wonder if God still knows me. And I, I want you to look at this verse and go, oh, trust me, God never loses sight of you. And this is a good thing. This is not a bad thing. This is a good thing that God never loses sight of you. I, I kind of think about it in these terms. God knows your name. God knows where you live. God knows everything about you. There's not one thing that you're going through right now or have ever gone through in your life that God didn't pay attention to. 
You may have taken your eyes off of him, but God's eyes have never come off of you. And the same thing with Jacob. Oh, there's so many things in Jacob's backstory that is like, I just cannot see God using that guy. But God never took his eyes off of him. And God keeps his promises. So God says to Jacob, it's time for you to go home. And so what Jacob does, ironically, he obeys. I guess he didn't have anywhere else to go, to be honest with you. So he obeys. So he gathers his family, all of his livestock. He gathers all of his belongings. Jacob has become quite a wealthy man since he left home. And uh, he gathers all of that stuff and he heads for home knowing that even though there's been plenty of years of distance, his brother Esau's anger has probably not been soothed, and his brother will still probably want to kill him when he sees him. So, knowing this, Jacob prays. He knows he's in trouble. He knows that the future is uncertain, and so he prays, which is also kind of like us too. In times of uncertainty, we tend to pray more. Well, Jacob's no different. We're no different than the people in the Bible. So Jacob prays this. You got Genesis chapter 32, verse 9, open on your lap. He prays this prayer. He prays, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. This is a very interesting prayer that he prays. Now, I cannot say this for sure, but what this kind of sounds like to me, it kind of sounds like that Jacob wants to change his label. It's almost like he's praying this prayer that's like, uh, I know what they're going to think of me when I go home. I know what my name means. I know what they're going to think of me. I used to be one way, but I'm heading home a, a different kind of person. That's why I think he said, hey, I crossed this Jordan. I crossed it with just my staff, but now I've become two groups. I think Jacob wants to get rid of this label. And he feared that by heading home, they would see him how he used to be. And in many ways, how he still was. The, the only thing that God said to him was, go home. But Jacob was not at that point, I don't see in the way he prays, that he's fully trusting God in, in all of this. He feared for his life. He feared going home. And so he's begging God, hey, can you help them see me differently when I go back home? Look at verse 11. He keeps praying. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid that he will come out and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and you will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. At the end of the day, Jacob starts his journey home hoping that everything will be all right. And he starts to get close to home, and, and, he, and he begins to pray, Oh, Lord, I hope, save me, please, you know, please. What Jacob should have done is he should have just trusted God. But isn't he kind of like us, too? Like, God, you made this promise. You're going to make me out of this family and a mighty nation. I know you've got things in control, but I better figure things out on my own. And we're like that, too, right? God, you, you made this promise that you're always going to be there for us, and you're always going to take care of ourselves, but uh, I'm going to do some things, too, on my own to make sure that you're going to live up to your end of the deal. That, I kind of see that in Jacob's attitude because here's what happens next. Genesis 32, verse 13. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. Now, did God tell him to do any of this? 
God just said go home. But here Jacob's still kind of like, okay, I know you said go home. You'll be with me. I'm going to prosper, but let me do some things too. So he took 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. I told you he was a rich man, didn't I? He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and he said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. And he instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all of these animals in front of you, then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau and he is coming behind us. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, this kind of sounds like a bribe. This kind of doesn't sound to me like he's trusting God. God just said, go home and I will be with you. This kind of sounds like like a bribe to his brother, which kind of, if you think about it, is kind of reinforcing his label, right, as a schemer. And this could have been taken a lot of different ways. Esau could have seen this and go, who did you say you were with? Jacob? My Little brother, the, the, the schemer, oh, what is he up to? Oh, this cannot be genuine. You know, it could have been taken a lot of different ways, but the reality of the situation is Jacob is still trying to get things done his own way. And as much as it frustrates me, I see that in myself at times, and you probably see it in yourself as well, right? God, I know what you said, but if I do A, B, and C, then, then this will be the outcome. And God said, no, just trust me. Just trust me. Oh, Jacob's not too different than some of us. So this is what happened next. This is where it gets really interesting. And this might be new territory for some of you in your study about Jacob. In verse 22, it says, That night Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. It just means he's getting real close to home. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Yeah, that's not a misprint. You read that correctly. He's all alone, and then a man comes and wrestles with him. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. My name is Jacob. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. This is, friends, one of the most fascinating encounters that any person has ever had with God. Everyone else is ahead of him. Family, livestock, possessions, everything. He is all alone. This might be the first time he has ever been completely alone in years. 
And then he has this all-night wrestling match with somebody. The Bible says a man came and wrestled him, but later it says he struggled with God. Many scholars, and I tend to agree with them, biblical scholars, they believe that it was the Lord who came and wrestled with Jacob. And this wrestling match appears to be a draw, but it really wasn't a draw because God could have easily snapped his neck at any second. It wasn't a draw, but rather God making a point. God wanted Jacob to see some things about himself because God's got a master plan that he is doing with this family. And Jacob, there's some things about Jacob that have got to come in line. There's some things about him that have got to come to order and God wants him to see this great thing he's going to do. But Jacob's got to make some changes in his own life before God is going to proceed with it. I believe the point of this wrestling match is God is breaking Jacob down, breaking down his label that he has worn his whole life, breaking down his I'm going to do life my way attitude, and I'm going to carve my own path attitude. God is breaking that down. God is going to break it down so that Jacob will trust him instead of his own schemes. He's breaking down this label during this wrestling match that lasted all night long. And at daybreak, in a weakened state, because this man of God, the Lord, he, he, he touched Jacob's hip. Jacob wasn't getting it. And so he touches his hip socket. I don't know if he breaks Jacob's hip. I don't know if he tears ligaments. I'm not exactly sure what happened there. But he touches his hip so- socket, wrenches it, cripples him, humbles him, And then when that happened, he says, what is your name? I believe this is the Lord asking Jacob, what is your name? And the response he got was, I'm Jacob. I think this is Jacob acknowledging his sin. I'm a deceiver. I'm an undercutter. I'm a deceiver. That's who I am. You want to know who I am? I am those things. And there's this moment there in this conversation with the Lord and Jacob when he finally confesses, this is who I am. This is the good, bad, and ugly of me. I'll lay it all out there. I'm Jacob. I'm deceiver. I've been all these things my whole life. And that is when God says, you're not going to wear that label anymore. You've been that. But I'm going to do something new. I'm going to change your name. You're going to be called Israel. God gives him the name of his people. That's, that's a different kind of label, friends. You're, not going to be, you're going to be this new thing. No longer Jacob. You're not going to be the deceiver, the schemer, the scoundrel of a guy. I'm going to give you the name of my people. So God gave him a new identity after he broke him. Warren Wiersbe says this. The way to have power with God is to be broken by God. Now, now he's not talking about physically broken by God, but breaking down these labels, breaking down our sin, breaking down who we are as opposed to who God wants us to be. If you want to have power with God, God's going to have to break you first. He's going to have to break that attitude, that pride, and all of those things that are keeping you from humbling yourself before the Lord. There comes a point. Each and every person who claims the name of Jesus has to break. They have to break. 
They have to break with this. I'm doing it this way. I'm going to do it God's way now. I'm done with my choices. I'm going to go for what God says. We finally break. And that is a moment that we call in church world a moment of great conviction. I do believe that God's plans are better than mine. I do believe that what God has in front of me is better than what I'm trying to create on my own. I do believe that my sins are keeping me from God's best and I need to repent. If you want to have power with God, he's going to have to break you first. We read something similar in the New Testament. I believe it's that idea that Paul tries to capture in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me now got a new identity. I'm a child of God. I no longer live. It's Christ who lives in me. And in that sense, that's what this wrestling match was all about between God and Jacob. Who are you? I'm a deceiver. I'm a sinner. But now that you've confessed that, I'm going to give you a new name. And God wants to do that with each and every one of us. I wonder How many of us in this room today are wrestling with God and you don't even realize that you're wrestling with Him? You're wrestling with Him over who is going to be the leader of your life. You're wrestling with Him over who's going to have control. You're wrestling with Him over your priorities and what is actually going to be number one in your life and number one in your family. You're wrestling with Him over what kind of direction your family goes and your path goes. I wonder how many of us are wrestling with God and we don't even realize it. Wrestling with him over your very own labels, the ones you love and the ones you hate. But it wasn't until Jacob confessed that he was a sinner, that his way of life wasn't good, that God gave him a new name. And I wonder how close some of you are to that reality today. And I would ask you this question. Where do you need to wrestle with God and have him change some of the labels over your life? Well, I'm going to let you read the rest of the story, but I can tell you it ends differently than Jacob thought. Jacob rides out to face his brother, to face the music, to face the one that he had conned out of the most important things on earth. And to Jacob's surprise... Esau's not even angry with him. Esau forgives him. You don't read about that too often, do you? He forgives his brother. In all this effort that Jacob went to on, on his own, God had already had it mapped out. He said, Jacob, you trust me. I'll take care of this. I know the future. I know the plans I have for you. And Esau forgave him. Are you willing to wrestle with God, admit who you are, and allow God to change you from the inside out? If you are, you just might be on this incredible journey of God doing something very special in your life.